I'm Raki and this is the My Small Business Life podcast. Every week we talk to small businesses from a diverse range of backgrounds to understand what it's really like to be your own boss. From startups to scale-ups, if you work in a small business or are thinking of starting one, we will be sharing our insights and advice about the realities of working for yourself. This week I speak to Homera Ikram, garden designer and guest judge on the Netflix show The Big Flower Fight. As well as being head of garden design at KLC in Chelsea, Homera is a Chelsea and Hampton Court Flower Show award winner. Good morning, Homera. Morning. How are you? I'm really good. It's sunny, the sky is blue, there's some fluffy clouds I can see. Doesn't get better than that. It doesn't get better than that. You are in your office slash shed at the moment. I can see you on Zoom, but for the benefit of people just listening, tell me about your little workspace. Oh, I have a little shed in my garden, which actually is a shed, but we've cut some windows into it. And I was really lucky because I did a garden at Hampton Court with a brilliant designer and I helped him with the planting. And this was the shed that was in the show garden. And at the end of the show, they were going to, I don't know what was going to happen to it. So it got craned into my garden. And now I work from here. That's amazing. Never waste anything. The perks of being a garden <laughs> designer. <laughs> there aren't that many at shows. People think it's really glamorous. And all I usually do is scrabble around in the dirt. So, you know, there had to be some perks. <laughs> yeah. Well, a shed is as good as any. Yeah, definitely. So... We attempted this at the beginning of lockdown. Full disclosure to the listeners. We attempted this at the beginning of lockdown when I was very early on in my amateur podcasting career. And I messed it up. I'm going to be honest. I completely messed it up. So thanks for talking to me yet again. Only your closest friends will let you screw up and waste their time like this. Can I just say that I had a really lovely time the first time round because we were just chatting and here we are again. I record you at least once a month for something. You are, in my eyes, a bona fide celebrity now, so. You don't know many. I don't know that many, that is true. <laughs> so I'm clinging on to the ones I do know for dear life. Shall we start with some of your recent public appearances on TV and radio? That would be a fun place to start, what do you think? Okay, that's fine by me. So I did a TV programme called the, the Big Flower Fight. I filmed it last summer, but it only came out during lockdown. And actually, it was the first day that the virtual Chelsea Flower Show was on. So it was May the 18th. So it dropped at just the right time. And people were in their homes and probably, if they were anything like me, a little bit sad. And then this programme came out, which was full of crazy amazing contestants and really fun things and it was just a little bit of a jolly kind of program about gardens and loveliness yeah it's very creative it's a bit like a gardening version of bake-off right exactly and you know some of the criticism that came about was oh well nobody's ever going to do that but as i was saying at the time i watch bake-off and then i make myself a piece of toast I'm never going to make myself a Zacho Torta or whatever it is that they're making. So it's about aspirational stuff. And also this, the contestants on this show were just so creative because a lot of them had never worked. Some of them had never worked with plants or flowers or not florists or, you know, horticulturalists. 
and they made the most amazing sculptures out of plants and living material and flowers. So, I mean, you know, if you like something creative and you want to watch something really creative, then that was a show for you. Sure. I mean, you might not go and make a 20 foot moth out of flowers, but it will spark. It could spark some creativity. Yeah. And because people were really thinking about their outside spaces or just even their balconies or their window boxes or whatever it was, because we had been in lockdown for at least two months by that point. So it was one of those things that made one, it was just a happier time looking at something really happy and lovely, but also it kind of gave people the ideas of what they could do and maybe something they could do in their own houses or when they went out into their local parks or whatever. So, you know, it was, yeah, really lovely to be part of that. And I remember you saying when you recorded it, that you weren't convinced anyone was going to watch it. And then lockdown happened and gardening and baking has just become the thing that everyone's done. So have there been a lot of people watching it? But it was my first ever TV appearance, so I was hoping that nobody was ever going to watch me doing it. So for me, it was like, well, I'll do it and see what happens. It'll be fine. It'll go under the radar. And then I was told that before lockdown, they thought because it was on Netflix, that 40 million people were going to watch it. Wow. I, I don't know what happened during lockdown. I haven't heard the new figures or what, whatever. But I think, well, because it's international and literally worldwide, many people have seen it. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. So we are probably about four months into coronavirus, maybe even longer now. I've lost count. We're emerging slowly. So life is beginning to maybe not get back to normal, but we are all re-emerging in our own way. How have things changed for you in the last month or so? I mean, the whole lockdown thing for me was really busy. I've had the busiest time pretty much of my whole life <laughs> because... I run a garden design college as well. And we found out the day before that we had to go online because we didn't know that that was going to happen. So I had to work out how we were going to teach it all online and work out who was going to do what and actually change timetables around. And we book them, we do everything a year in advance. So that was literally the day before we'd have to change things. So that's what has been happening with that. That finished on July the 2nd. And so that has been really busy. But on top of that, because people have been looking at their gardens and wanting their spaces designed, and I have my own projects as well. So I've been running those. And that was trickier because we had some builds going on and the builds were getting slower and slower because we couldn't get materials and whatever else. And then we had to sort of postpone things. So everything has had a knock-on effect. And then, you know, I've had a few exciting new projects come my way so I've had to work on those so and also obviously like everybody else my family has been at home and my children are trying to learn stuff I mean I think we're supposed to be homeschooling but I haven't really done any of that at that time but they're fine so lockdown has not been about making sourdough and doing yoga for me so were you able to go into people's gardens during lockdown because that would have been quite a safe Thing to do so at the beginning quite a lot of my um, clients we were doing zoom calls and uh, and facetime even so they were going around their garden and they were showing me things that they wanted me to discuss so i was doing consultations over the phone and then as it became more apparent that we could go into gardens so then you know we're really lucky and, I, and actually a lot of my clients have got side access and so you never have to go inside the house so you know then i started going to their gardens and it was really great because then we could have proper discussions on site and we had a little bit more time so one of the things that you have been doing more recently, just informing the public about making good choices in the garden is some appearances on Radio 4's Gardener's Question Time, right? Yeah. How's that been going? 
<laughs> it was really lovely to be asked to do that, but also super scary because, you know, two million people listen to that and they all know about gardening. And, you know, they have panels of people who are real experts and they get asked questions. So to, to even be thought of in that kind of, you know, sphere is really lovely. And, but for me, I kind of do this a lot. I put plants together for people a lot. And it, it is quite interesting how to just to break it all down and to be able to explain that in very simple ways. And your thinking behind it actually is what I think is the most important thing so you know knowing about what your soil is like knowing what the aspect is because what happens is people often go to a garden center and they go in the middle of summer and they think what looks good i'm going to buy that that and that and i'm going to put them in my garden fine for a day or two but then everything dies and they go why did it die because you bought something that's supposed to be in shade you put it in full sun you have to pick the right plant for the right place and if you know what kind of place you have then it's much easier so you know you have to just check all those things before you go and then work it out and also don't plant in July because I know that's when most people buy plants but you have to then water them and make sure that they're happy all through the summer so I only plant in the autumn uh, and the spring. That's good to know I do hear a lot of conversations about plants and death. <laughs> yeah. I successfully for the first time in my life managed to keep about eight house plants alive for a number of months now and I feel like I've fully developed into a grown-up now <laughs> and the reason I've been able to do it is because I actually read the goddamn instructions when the plants came it's so simple yeah it's so simple I mean the thing is that some of the especially houseplants because I don't know much about how I mean you know I read up about them but it's not my expertise but it really is so some of them are from mangroves so they might need a wetter soil some of them are from drier areas some of them need humidity and all of those things because say if the plant comes from a tropical forest where it's very rainy and it's high humidity if you put that into your central heated house it's dry they're not going to thrive there so those are the things that you kind of it just makes it much much easier to understand if you know where the plant is from and you then replicate those conditions you know it's going to be fine so. Yeah, mangroves, humidity, exactly what I was thinking, definitely. <laughs> so one of the things that I think is really important, I'm going a little bit off-piste here, but you are a brown woman, you're a Muslim, you've been in an episode of this huge Netflix show, you are now on Radio 4 on Gardener's Question Time with not a Christian-sounding name, and I think that's really, really important for accessibility for BAME groups into the gardening world. And we've had these conversations before. You don't necessarily see an accessibility problem. And then I try and point one out to you because I think you're just such an optimistic person. You just think, well, I can, you know, go and work in this industry. It doesn't really matter what, how few other black and brown people there are, but are you coming around to my way of thinking or not, I guess, is the question. <laughs> I mean, I understand that there are not the same opportunities. But, I mean, as we've talked about this before, that I, I guess that I've never had that issue just because I think, well, I know I can do things if I do them better. I mean, my parents have always said you have to work hard and have to be better than everybody else. Yeah, and I think you shouldn't, as a black or brown person, have to work harder than everybody else to have access to the same things. So from my perspective, it is very important to have your face on TV and your voice on, on radio. I'm really happy to be doing what I'm doing, but sometimes it's tricky at the moment when people say, oh, you're representing. 
you know, a whole group of people, you think, oh, am I? Did, did I want, I don't know how to, I mean, I'm glad to be, but I didn't know that that was part of the, the thing that I was doing. I was just going off and doing the best I could do. But, you know, if I can help in any way, I'm very happy to do that. No one person can speak on behalf of all brown people. Yeah, I feel but, a bit scared about that. Yeah, that is scary because there are a lot of us. <laughs> and everybody has very different opinions on lots of different things. So I don't feel like I can represent every single person who's a woman, no. Muslim, Asian, whatever. Tell me about your involvement in the Chelsea Flower Show. So sustainability is kind of the thing that I look at. And when you look at shows, they're just not sustainable. However, I really love doing a show because it is the excitement, the just everything about it you know and you have to be working at your hardest and I help people with their planting now and I have a team that goes into um, the show and we work on planting show gardens up and with Chelsea and other shows what you have to do is you have 10 days at the end of this build which is like two or three weeks and you have to put these plants in in such a way that it looks like they've been there forever and they come out of pots or they don't actually come out of pots. They just get you know, put into a garden. So it's like a big flower display, but everything is alive and you have to keep it alive because that's actually part of the, you know, the judging process as well. The last few years, we've got two gold medals and two best in shows as part of a team of people who those were our RHS shows. Those were two at Hampton Court and we do Chelsea as well. So this year I was supposed to be at Chelsea and Hampton Court doing the same thing, working with people on planting and then planting up their gardens. But obviously it was all cancelled, which is absolutely as it should have been. So a lot of things have been moved to next year. So I'm trying to consult on those two. It's been busy. It's been exciting. So one of the things that we've talked about are the more urban garden shows, because you feel that that attracts a more diverse range of people and it's a bit more accessible to everyone. Why is that important? And what are they? Okay, so Chelsea, everybody knows about Chelsea. It's like the World Cup of you know garden design but to get a ticket is tricky sometimes it sells out most of the time it sells out and to get the cheapest ticket I think is 30 quid for like two hours in the evening so you know you can spend 200 quid on a ticket which is really out of most people's reach I think gardening is for everyone and so there was a particular thing that was started up around the Chelsea um, flower show which is called the Chelsea Fringe and when that first started up I was really interested in that and uh, Tim Richardson came up with this idea he's a garden historian and writer and you know it's just about making it more accessible making gardens uh, more accessible to people so it's an open access free fringe event which was around Chelsea and really uh, around that time and so you could go to events and when that first started up I was really interested and I helped with that and then the other thing that the RHS used to do was London shows and urban shows. And they have their base in Vincent Square, which is in um, Victoria and or Pimlico that way. And so every year they would have a urban show. And when I went to the urban show, it was really great. It was full of people, young people, black people, Asian people, vegans. I mean, like, you know, like just a mix, a proper mix of people. And when you go to places like Chelsea, it's not all Hampton Court. It's not like that. There is a certain demographic that goes, they spend the whole day there. You buy very expensive fish and chips. Like, you know, like literally everything about it is aimed at a different demographic. And also even just getting there sometimes like Hampton Court, Tatton Park, there's no, you know, how do you get to these places? It's not that easy on public transport. So this for me was a really big thing that we had these urban shows and they were closed down by the RHS, but we, 
phoned them up and we had discussions. They were apparently going to make them mobile and go to different cities, but then this happened this year, so we haven't been able to, well, they haven't been able to do that. But I really think it's important to bring the RHS, which is one of the biggest societies, they've got lots of money, it's a big charity, and it's all about gardening. So, you know, we should bring that to more people and, and try and widen the demographic for the RHS. And actually, the, the Royal Horticultural Society and lots of other societies are looking at schools, and they are going into schools and doing lots of projects with them. But for me, it's the bit in between those two. So you've got the sort of over 40s, over 50s that are covered, because that's the real demographic for it. And then you've got the school things that are happening. But then there's this whole bit from 20 to 40, which on my Instagram shows me that everybody's interested in green spaces, and they, you know, they understand biophilia, and they want to be part of this whole outside world. But how do we how do we get them how do we get to those people and, and get them interested in what we're doing rather than just being on Instagram and looking at you know houseplants or whatever let's get them into the into the outside world and you know be a part of these bigger societies cool so hopefully from next year more of that will be popping up and it's great you can pick up the phone to the RHS and give your views that's important yeah. Well, it's a small industry and because, you know, I, I like chatting to people. So I've met a few people along the way and they've been brilliant. And actually, the thing about this industry is that people really do want to help if they can. But, or you know, uh, you'd have to get to the right people and have to make them understand that it's really important. I'm surprised that it's a friendly industry. If you said it was full of bitchy people, that would be a surprise to me. <laughs> I mean, it really is. I mean, it's just so lovely because I used to work in the city and I loved it and I loved working where I did and I really liked all my you know, colleagues, but it's different because, you know, you want to get paid more and you want to get to the top or whatever. There is always something. Whereas this industry, you can ask anybody anything and they will try and help you. Yeah. And that's how people helped you, wasn't it? So it's paying it forward in a way. Absolutely. So you mentioned working in the city, which was going to be my next question because a few people that I've interviewed in this podcast series have escaped the city to do something completely different and often something creative. So talk to me about that move. I mean, for me, the city was like uh, kind of like a lot of people when you fall into something, you fall into a job, you think, oh, yeah, OK, I can pay my bills or whatever. And I'd been at university and I had loans and I had to pay off all those things. So uh, I got a job. It was through The Guardian. I, you know, <laughs> that's how we used to get jobs. And, and I worked for Reuters for almost 10 years. And I was on an editing desk and then I was on something else. I mean, I loved everybody there, but it was quite boring, you know, as a job. So, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. And then the opportunity came, well, there were lots of redundancies happening and I wasn't on the list, but I just said to my boss, go on, tell me, how much would I be worth? And so, and part of the process, because Reuters were such brilliant um, employers, you know, used to get lots of benefits, but part of the redundancy package that they were giving was money to retrain. So you got money to retrain. It couldn't go towards anything else. So, and I said, please, can I have that? And I would really like to do that. And then I, and I was thinking either I could go to do like a project management, Prince T or whatever, or I could do something totally different. And we had just bought a house and we'd done all the interiors, which was fine. I really enjoyed that. But we had a garden and we'd started to go to Columbia Road and looking at plants. And I was like, that would be really cool. I'd really like that. And so that's the way I went. I had this money to retrain and I went and retrained and I had small children and I was pregnant for a lot of the time, but you know, you just do these things <laughs> and you get through them. Uh, and I think women, you know, as women, we kind of can multitask. So I just really didn't sleep for about two years, got my distinction in my course 
and then started working and here we are. You've come full circle with the garden design study because now you are head of a garden design course at a college in Chelsea and you talked a bit at the beginning about the challenges of shifting everything online. So what happens in your role as a, as a course leader? That's very different to being a designer. So the main thing for me is that I, when I finished my course and I came out and I knew how long it took me to build up all my networks, work out what I was doing, build up all my libraries of stuff that I needed and start working. And so what I've done with the course that I run now is I have built all of those things into the course. So when you leave the course, because it's really vocational, it's very intense and it's pretty tough. People don't expect that from a garden design course. They're like, oh, it's garden design. You know, it's a nice thing. You go and look at gardens and read some books. But it's not like that at all. <laughs> it's actually much. Not on your watch. Yeah, not on my watch. Well, because there is so much to learn in this industry, it's kind of a problem, but also the cool thing that, you know, there is lots of different ways you can go with it. But over the last five years, it has become, well, more and more technical. So everything is more and more technical. We have to work a lot with landscape architects and architects and, you know, whoever else. And all of that means that you have to have the knowledge and the professional kind of output that, you know, whenever you present something, it has to be fresh enough to be able to deal with that. So that is how we run the college. It's like running a studio. And so all of my students who... I push a lot and I know and by the end of the course, they are all ready to work and they can all go either into a studio to work or they can work for themselves. And the reason is I, I speak to lots of people in the industry and I say to them, so we've got these really great students. Do you want to, you know, are you, are you hiring? And they would say, I just don't have time to train up a student. And I was like, well, no, but the point is that we should have done that. So you don't have to do that. What is it that we're lacking? So those are the things that I then also built into the course so that all the students now come out and literally can go straight into a studio. I mean, obviously, this is the beginning of their journey. So they do this one year with us. It's part time, but really it's like more than full time as a course because you have to put extra work into it. But by the time you leave, you are really comfortable and confident with the tech, with designing, with putting things together, knowing, understanding the processes so that nothing will scare you and you've seen everything. You might not be able to do every single part of that like brilliantly, but you know, you still have to learn on the job. I mean, literally I learn something new every single day because there are so many things to learn, but you can then at least be part of that experience and not go and make the tea. That's what I would hate, that somebody leaves my course and goes into a student and just makes a cup of tea. Because what you want to do is you want to go straight in because you can use all the tech. So important. I mean, you're obviously able now to pass on the wisdom of running. A, so say people want to work for themselves. They are effectively running their own very small business. And you're now able to equip them with as much knowledge as you can give them in terms of what to expect and how to do that. Yeah. So what were the things that you wish you knew before you started running your own business? Uh, okay, so definitely I wish I had more tech experience before I left college. What does the technical experience mean? All of my work is done on a computer pretty much, like 80, maybe 90%. I mean, it could be 100% on a computer as a garden designer. So that is what you do. You spend all of your time on a computer. You don't actually have to leave and do anything else unless you want to go and see a client or go and do some planting. So I built my whole business, my whole life around planting because I really like going out and looking at plants and putting things together. And then I have design as well. So I have two parts of it. 
But when I came out of college, I didn't have Vectorworks, which is one of the industry standards, you know, the programs that we use. And I had to teach myself and then it was just took forever. So now we, we make sure that everybody leaves with that really, you know, well kind of honed. And things like Photoshop and InDesign so that you can professionally present all your work. And, and also this, talking to people and being able to present yourself in a certain way. We look at that a lot as well on the course, but also things like sketching and drawing and being creative. So there's, there's quite a lot of stuff that you have to build in because when I first came out of college, I mean, we didn't even touch on things like sustainability at all. And now that's really part of the whole course. So, you know, all of the um, projects passed, you know, in term two onwards are all, you have to have sustainable aspects of them all because it should be part of your process. You should think about all of this whilst you're designing. So it's not, retrofitting anything it's just part of your design process and those are things that I was not taught but I thought were really important. So you talked about building rapport with clients that's something that you learn over time I think what are some of the challenges when you're taking I'm assuming what can be quite complicated creative briefs sometimes? Yes I my biggest thing is well there's two things always work with people that you like because if you don't like them, it's actually really hard because some of these processes like go on for a year, two years. I mean, I've been working on one garden for like seven or eight years now. So you do really have to like people and you have to be able to sit at their kitchen table and talk to them and have a laugh with them. And they have to be able to trust you because, you know, it's a lot of money. So, you know, all of those things are really important. So if you don't like somebody, it's just going to be a horrible experience. It's not worth it. And the second thing is always talk to if there are two partners or a husband and a wife or whatever, speak to both of them at the same time to get the brief. And that is something that I learned by experience because, you know, most of the time the wife or the woman would say, can you, you know, come and talk to him at my garden? And I was like, brilliant. Yes. And I went and they gave me a brief and I did a whole design on it. And then the next meeting you'd go back and the partner would be there and they'd be like, Oh, but where is the lawn? You know, like, well, she didn't ask for a lawn. She doesn't want a lawn. Well, I need a lawn. So, you know, Get, get rid of all of that by having both partners or the whole family or whoever at that initial meeting whoever is in ch or is going to be using the garden if they've got a dog or cat definitely make sure that they mention that too you know but all of those things are really important that you get a proper brief at the beginning because if you don't have the brief from everybody then you can't design the right garden yeah then you'll be running into problems with people putting in all these last minute ideas and stuff we'll finish on sustainability because i know it's important to you you did something sustainability related at university, I think, didn't you? Was it? Was I did it? environmental science. So what's your parting philosophy or knowledge or wisdom to people on sustainable gardens? I mean, the, the biggest thing is everybody knows now after lockdown how important their outside space was. You know, that we could go outside if you had a park or you know, anything as small as like a plant in your house, whatever it was, and what a difference that makes. So now I think it's really our duty and our responsibility to think about those things when we design, especially for other people. Even if the clients are not interested in sustainability, it is up to us as designers to offer them only good choices. So things that are sustainable, things that are not you know, like peat, which we, is not going to be replenished. You know, we need to be able to think about that and offer good choices to all of our clients and then give them the narrative and make them understand the story so that they can then go, oh, actually, that's quite interesting. I'll tell my friends about that. And hopefully it will become something that they're interested in. But 
yeah I just think it's really our duty to do that one of the things people might have been doing in lockdown is wanting career changes so <laughs> if they want to join your garden design course how do they get in touch with you yeah so you can look up klc i think it's .co.uk or .com and just have a look online um for us and give us a ring and book in for an interview come and see me i'll interview you not that well it's a bit scary but don't worry <laughs> you've heard what the course is like it's full-on it's intensive so you know i'll just make sure that the right people are going on to the course and and if they're not i'll show them another path that might be better for them but I, yeah, just get in touch with us and we'll have a chat and see if it is what you want to do. You say intensive, but I know it's going to be fun if it's with you. Well, I think so. So if people are interested in having some advice on their gardens or they want a garden designed, yeah. what's the best way of getting in touch with you there? They can find me on Instagram. I'm, I'm doing my website up at the moment, but if you find me on Instagram, it's Hamera underscore Ikram. And my details are up there with my email address and everything else. So you can just get in touch through that or DM me. Cool. Hamera, thank you again and again. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I hope people go and look up Netflix and tune into Radio 4 every once in a while to hear you there. Yeah. I mean, Radio 4, even if you're not interested in gardening, it's quite soothing. It's just a soothing sort of Friday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon thing to listen to. <laughs> this is true. I don't have a garden, but I still listen to it sometimes. And actually, Gardener's Question Time in its normal format is actually quite an amusing show. So thank you again, and I will see you soon. Thank you so much, Rocky. You've been listening to the My Small Business Life podcast produced by Tigris Management. For more information, visit tigrismanagement.com. With special thanks to Gareth Shelton of Pop-Up Painting.